Today on the Free Thinking Podcast, we have stellar connector Will Chamberlain, founder of Creative Wick and the Cultural Interest Group. He talks about how he and a growing network are establishing a permanent, sustainable, creative community in East London's Hackney Wick and Fish Island, and particularly how creative activism and the sharing economy can advance the arts and culture in the face of rabid commercialism. Hello, Will. So, Will, thank you for joining us today. Very kind of you. Very much. So I've got, I think, firstly, in terms of helping us understand, I've got lots of things I want to ask you about the context in Hackney Whip, but can you give us a few words about uh, the cultural interest group and what that is and how, and, and I suppose maybe the, the language around creative district, just to help us frame this thing would be enormously helpful, sir, if you could do that. Thanks very much, Adam, and thanks very much for inviting me to, uh, to take part in this. Um, so, Hackney Wick, I, I started this journey, I suppose. I was part of the Olympic bid in 2004 and was very interested in, in what the Olympic legacy would look like, particularly for the communities surrounding what would become the Olympic Park. And I actually moved to Hackney Wick in 2008 and was amazed to find one of the largest organic creative clusters in Europe, if not the world. And knowing the process of, of urban regeneration and particularly mega event regeneration, obviously knew that such a thing was under threat unless I think quite drastic measures were taken to, um, to try and protect it and preserve it and make sure that it, it survived uh, what was coming down the highway towards it. And uh, obviously the artist community in Hackney Wick and Fish Island knew the same. I think really ever since the announcement had been made in 2005 that the Games were coming to this part of London, had been thinking about how they were going to raise their profile and, and get the attention that I think they felt that they needed in order to, to, to get some stakeholder support. So they set up the Hackney Wicked Art Festival in 2008. And it was about three weeks, four weeks after I moved to Hackney Wick. And um, it was this fantastic explosion of, of, uh, of, of Hackney Wick style underground creative explosion. Um, there are exhibitions and pop-up galleries and, and art and, and performance in the street and, 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 and what have you. And, and I went along uh, because they put posters up on lampposts and what have you. And uh, it was really a, my first taste, my first example of seeing a community taking responsibility for the kind of Olympic legacy, the Olympic legacy that they wanted. Yes. They, um, they said, look, we're here. We, we, we want to be part of, of the future. And then I got in touch with the organisers of the festival and said, look, I, I'd like to help you get organised. Um, and I heard about community interest companies um, and social enterprise, didn't really know much about it. But um, got in touch with the uh, the, the, the organising committee of, of the Hackney Wicked Art Festival, and um, persuaded them after quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of time gaining their trust uh, as an outsider and as a non-artist, um, persuaded them to set up as a community interest company. And uh, I was the company secretary and, and helped with sponsorship and what have you for the first two or three years. 
and uh, helped grow the festival from, I think, about 800 people in, in, in year one in 2008 to 40,000 people in 2011, which was uh, obviously an incredible explosion. And, and when you began, I think I remember you telling me that, you know, maybe the highest concentration of artists in Europe, but not a single bar. Is that right? Absolutely. It feels yeah. Extraordinary to imagine that. Yeah, there were three or four Greasy Spoon cafes. Yeah. A couple of sandwich uh, bands out on the street, um, but no bars at all. No. And actually, all the the social activity was very much gallery based. It was it was incredible. So every there were about seven or eight galleries in Hackneywick at the time. Yeah. Um, and um, it's Elevator Gallery, Decima, um, Schwartz Gallery um uh, the residents um and others um main yard um and private views was was, yeah. was our social life and and, right. and there would always be a, a a cash bar selling you know tins of beer for a quid yeah and that would be that would have the next exhibition would be funded and the gallery would uh would survive and it was it, it, it was it was fabulous actually yeah and you, and you talk about so the, the idea that then there's a community that, that rallying around their vision, their thoughts, you're helping with the community interest group to you know, better connect that network. So what about the cultural Olympiad and what was happening there? Was that pushing towards you? I mean, how did that work? Well, that was my first idea. The, the, the first thing I thought of was to say, well, let, let's see if we can connect the Hackney Wicked Art Festival into the cultural Olympiad and make it a feature. Um, and I think at the time there was quite a lot of budget available for the Cultural Olympiad and the plans were quite um, quite extravagant. Um, and uh, obviously in 2008-9 with the financial crash, budgets were massively impacted and I think the original ambition for the Cultural Olympiad was scaled back. But there was also a sense that Hackney Wick's underground art and cultural scene probably didn't fit the image that London 2012 wanted to present to the world um, and it wasn't actually it wasn't possible to ultimately to, to get the festival to become part of the Cultural Olympiad and in fact in 2012 the authorities and particularly the police insisted that the festival shouldn't go ahead um, because of the, uh, of, of, of the crowds the numbers of people who had attended in 2011 I think they felt that there was a bit of a safety issue but I, I was no longer involved in the in the festival by then. Um, but um, and just for listen, how 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 close is Hackney Wick and the festival to where the stadium in Stratford is? What, what kind of distances are we talking about here? We're literally on on two sides of a canal. So on one bank is the Olympic Stadium, and on the other is is Hackney Wick. So literally the Olympic Park above the canal that that separates Hackney Wick and Fish Island. Wow, couldn't be closer. No, and Hackneywick and Fish Island is this unique place because its its geography means that it's incredibly, uh, it, it's absolutely defined. It, it has clear boundaries. It's got the A12, it's got the canal system, it's got the northern outfall sewer on the Greenway to the south. Uh, and what it does, it makes it a fantastic place to study because of its, its boundaries. It, it, it's very, very precisely defined. And uh, we always discussed it in terms of it being a, a laboratory where we could try and uh, identify and replicate best practice in, in creative placemaking. And I think really that, that that's almost what's happened, which is which is actually very exciting. But going back to the festival, yeah. what it what it yes. did was it, it encouraged artists to open their doors and invite the world in, which was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it also led to lots and lots of relationships being formed. Um, 
the relationships then endure and collaborations come out of it. Uh, and you found that there was this great um, informal sharing economy that the, that the festival encouraged and you know, artists and creative practitioners are very good at sharing what limited resources they have. They don't they, they don't feel that it's competition to, to work with a fellow artist. It's a, it's a collaboration. Lovely things can come out of it. We talk about serendipitous collisions in Hattonwick and Fish Island. And um, by having this incredible network of personal relationships, you encourage as many serendipitous relationships, serendipitous collisions as possible. And many flowers hopefully will bloom. And so I set up the cultural interest group in 2010 as a way of continuing the, the work that the festival did on one weekend of a year with those relationships. I did it uh, in 2010 to, very informally to start with, just as a way of bringing together like-minded individuals that had an amb ambition of preserving Hackney Wick and Fish Island's soul, its spirit, if you like. Um, how did you bring them together? Because that, you know, it's 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 one thing to say that one is going to help these connections, but that's it's, it's not only a huge amount of work, but also the frequency and regularity and the commitment is is the hell of a thing, isn't it? You've got to you've got to got to you do it in earnest, haven't you? It, I, yes, I think ultimately I had to do it in earnest. I think to start with it started out very very uh, very informally. Um, I, I was at the time I, I persuaded um, the owner of the local smoked salmon factory, um, Lance Foreman, uh, to let me run a gallery in the attic space. He had a 6000 square foot um, space in at the top of his building that wasn't being used for very much. And I persuaded him to let me set it up as a gallery, Foreman's Smokehouse Gallery. And uh, we ran it for three years and had an exhibition every month, practically. For the whole three-year period, and it was a great way for me to to un, to, to learn about the art world, to learn about um, the delicacies of um, attempts to commercialise art and and um, commercialise Hackney Wick and Fish Island. Um, and so it was an invaluable lesson uh, for me to to take part in that. But Lance had a very nice restaurant, and the first meeting was a, a breakfast meeting in his restaurant, and he did smoked salmon and scrambled eggs. And it was actually very easy to get eight or so people to come along to the first meeting. And yes. from there, we decided, look, let, how can we support each other? It, yeah. You know, there were two or three galleries. There were Space Studios, Anna Harding, the chief executive of Space Studios at the first meeting. Um, Tom Seaton from Counter Cafe that became Crate Brewery was there. Um, I think um, Rebecca White from Star Space was there. So it, it was a good gang of, of local people that shared an interest in working together. Um, coordinating exhibitions, for example, so that you can encourage more people to come along. We started running our exhibitions to coincide with First Thursday, and we used to get sometimes four or five exhibitions opening on a, on a First Thursday in Hackney Wick, which would mean that you'd get quite a lot of people coming. We used to get 400 people coming to an opening night, private view, um, a, a performance smokehouse gallery. And you know, lots of people knew each other and lots of new people would keep on coming in and, and getting to know and, and starting to do interesting things and people saying, oh, I could help you do that. And, you know, yeah. It's fantastic energy. All it's because of the threat. It was so... it was, well, it's the threat, I think, obviously, of the Olympics yeah. coming yeah. down the highway, the thing that, that galvanised people. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it, that we often need something to kick against, that then community doesn't come from just something that's uh, joyful. It comes from sort of the... the potential negativity of it and then people rally together as a collective and then what you're saying there is it no longer are they kind of competing against one another they're noting that actually if we better curate this as one entity 
then we're going to start attracting people. And I suppose at that time, people are starting to then, what, what words are they using to talk about this? Is, is it still re related to words work, at a festival or, or is creative wick and language like that emerging? What, what words are we seeing here? Uh, but no, the festival was very much um, a standalone uh, and it was its own organisation. Um, the reason that Creative Wit came about was because, um, funny enough, we, we realised early on in the piece that we needed a, a, a way of finding each other more easily um, than, than we had previously. And so we were, we were given a grant by, um, I think it was the Olympic Park Legacy Company, the OPLC, to start with. Um, in 2013 to build a, uh, an online directory, uh, a website directory of all the local creative businesses in Hackneywick and Pashinan. There'd been a study by Muff Architecture and Art in 2009 that, that identified that there were 624 artist studios in Hackneywick and Pashinan, which gave it this legitimacy as, as, as one of the highest concentrations in the world. But it was quite invisible. I think, uh, you know, during during the festival, you'd see lots and lots of doors would open, but then they'd close again. Uh, so how do you find each other outside of the festival time? We've got the cultural interest group meeting monthly, but outside that, we thought that a, a website would be the, the best way of doing it. So we set up hackneywit.org with a grant. And uh, in order to be the grant receiving organisation, I had to incorporate the cultural interest group into a into a company so i then set up my own community interest company called hackney wick and fish island cic that would then become the banker to deliver the the, the website and from there creative wick was born in 2015 um, but we still deliver the cultural interest group um, it's actually the 12th anniversary in may of our first meeting um, which is uh, which is wonderful, and you know we get forty, forty five, fifty people, businesses, uh, residents, academics. Um, at the last meeting, we had nine creative workspace providers, um, property developers, uh, three local universities, officers from the local authority, uh, elected councillors from the local authority, uh, residents. This wonderful mix of, of people, and and it, it, you know. I'm never fully aware of what happens afterwards, but people find out about each other in meetings. We share email addresses in the chat. It's an online meeting, it's a hybrid meeting now. Um, and then who knows where those relationships then go off to. So um, it's, 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 uh, it's lovely, Rod. It's, it's wonderful. And I think so much of how you convene such a varied group is a hell of, hell of an art. And I, I note that it happens organically, but also you said at the beginning there, you, you were, had never, be involved in running a gallery and then what, where, what, a bit of background from you then what 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 the ability to wear these many hats what where, where does that come from what were you doing before uh, I'm a solicitor by training uh, I um I I'm a geographer uh, as a as a uh, my undergrad at Queen Mary in East London was a, a geography degree and actually, it was in late eighties and early nineties when Canary Wharf was being billed as the big economic leveler of East and West London, and, and the, the the thing that would provide opportunities to the deprived communities of East London. Uh, and it didn't really happen like that. So when the Olympic opportunity came along, and I joined the Olympic bid on the on the commercial team, um, this prospect of legacy that would deliver these opportunities for the, for the you know the next big promise. For the deprived communities of East London, I jumped at the chance, and and I don't know. I I I think I've got a very low attention 
threshold, obviously, and I and I I I get myself involved in lots of things and somehow manage sometimes to to pull it off. Um, but it, no, it's a collaborative effort. I mean, all of these things. I think really, I I work as a facilitator and a convener, and and try and be a bit of a catalyst. And and you know, it's really a it, it's it's a massive massive group effort. It, you know, it, it's it's relatively easy to to set a date for a meeting. Um, I still dread every every single meeting that no one's going to turn up, you know, but 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 luckily they do. Well, and I guess they're critical to that is the communication. So you spoke about the serendipitous collisions and connections. Now I know I mean, it, there's to the, the network and the newspaper, uh, uh, the WIC newspaper are critical to that, aren't they? Could you tell us a bit about that? Because that sounds to be important to keep the flames alive regardless of the event could, could you tell us yeah, more about that absolutely well the newspaper actually was born in 2011 and again it came out of the same grant um organization i think uh the Olympic park legacy company um and um the original newspaper was was very much focused on the threat that hackneywick and fish island was facing from from the game, so it, that 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 was absolutely its its focus, and it did three annual editions. Um, so in two thousand eleven, twelve, and thirteen, there was an issue, and each one had had a had a had a theme uh, about the the fact that the creative economy, the creative sector, the creative cluster in Hackneywick and Fish Island was threatened, um, and it went down incredibly well. But it was very difficult actually to get funding to continue it and we did try i i was sort of involved on the periphery because of my role in the cultural interest group but um but darren ellis from c studio was the art director and um and the editor uh, was a was an academic uh, called isaac uh, i can't remember his surname um and um we always had this ambition of bringing it back and we had an opportunity to collaborate again with uh, with uh, the local content company in 2020 and, and we were planning it all through lockdown and we brought our first issue back out in in october 2020 with a small grant from the foundation for future london and um it's 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 become a really exciting way of of galvanizing um support it, it, it's not a newspaper it's it, it's a storytelling um paper that that shares um what's going on who's doing interesting things um it's starting to do a little bit of investigative journalism to, to, to try and identify property developers who perhaps aren't behaving quite as as well as we'd like them to, and and it's had some success in that. Um, but I think we, you know, with so much happening in a place like Hackneywick and Fish Island and the Olympic Park area, it's, it's actually it's very surprising how little lots and lots of residents know what is happening, um, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and uh, a traditional print media title has proved incredibly effective at getting that information out and it's been very popular we're now printing fifteen thousand copies every issue we're quarterly at the moment but we're hoping to go monthly from um, early in 2023 and it really is it's about keeping the creative flame alive we, you know, east london was always the home of of, of the artists community it, it was the most affordable part of London it, it was it was uh, it was a home to the writers and the actors and the musicians and the filmmakers and the rest of that and, and we want to hopefully keep it that way so 
we're, we're always trying to slow down the pace of regeneration so that the community can keep up with it. It's the problems happen when economic development at community level doesn't happen quick enough to keep up with land price rises and obviously land prices are rising incredibly fast. Um, we've actually set up a community development trust in Hackneywick and Fish Island to try and secure as many uh, assets, buildings, land as possible so that we can provide permanent affordability. But we've had some success during the uh, through the Culture Interest Group as a lobbying organisation. Over the years, we were always stressing the importance of access to artist studio space and particularly fine artist studio space. Um, I think it's you know, Hackneywick and Fish Island is, is very much known for its fine artists, its, um, its painters, its sculptors, um, also its makers, its messy art uh, and, and making. And as soon as you build luxury apartments, you bring in a, a new residential group who don't like that, that sort of thing. They don't like the noise and the dirt that, that, that some of this, this stuff makes. And so we're trying to protect access to those sorts of spaces so that we can keep a genuinely mixed-use community because at the moment, if if you displace all of that interesting, exciting stuff, then you're then you're displacing the the natural creative placemakers. And I think the, the placemaking movement in this country has grown massively in the last five years. But Hackneywick and Fish Island is still an exemplar of what you can do with a high concentration of creatives, actually involved in in, in placemaking strategies and initiatives. On that point, then, in terms of particularly placemaking. I think one thing that seems to happen so much uh, within that, I suppose, that dynamic you speak of, of there is the developer, there is the creative community, that there are often speak of meanwhile uses, but of course they are only often there until then the development is finished and then everybody has moved on. What, what, how are you better baking that in? You, you spoke about the Community Development Trust. That is there to buy buildings and to lobby, is it? So it's both it's both the, the the developer and it's also the lobbyist. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think absolutely. The ambition is for it to become a developer in its own right at, at some point in the future. I think the, the the immediate ambition is to secure a long lease on a building or a, or a, or a piece of land. Um, and of course, these are very very difficult to find in a place like this in Hackneywick and Bichon. So those conversations are all ongoing. I had a um, wonderful chat with. Uh, uh, Richard Upton from you and I, and he was talking about the need for not not meanwhile uses, but worthwhile uses that you properly bake it in that the ground floor and the first floor are sacred to that. Because if you, you don't that obviously you, you both, as you were saying, the gentrification loses the community. But also all those reasons, as you say, that people move there in the first, then are lost along the development. I thought that's really nice, that phrase worthwhile uses. So with that in mind, you were talking, some of those things you talked about, about how things began focused on the threat. But I now know, you know, in terms of your, your more proactive entity, you, you mentioned to me a, a film school and a music school and a, a living lab. Uh, tell us more about those, because that's a, that, there's a real drama in that. Well, one of the things I've always been very, very interested in, and this has come from my work, I think, in um, in the in the commercial sponsorship sector. Um, I was a sports marketeer originally before I went into the Olympic bid. I had a sponsorship law background, and that was why I, I had this role. And it was very interesting to me to see how some of the commercial partners of the Olympic bid 
use their communications. And I, I had to manage the EDF Energy account. And they used art and culture for all their engagement, all their community engagement. If you remember at the time, we, we were all being encouraged to leap for London and back the bid and, and all this sort of thing. And EDF Energy always did it with art and culture, like sponsoring jazz festivals or the Balloon Festival in Bristol or, 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 or what have you. And um, it was very interesting to me that the others were all using sports marketing and, and EDF were using art and culture. And it, it, it occurred to me that there's a great role for local businesses in their local communities to actually support their local art and culture sector because it's healthy for them, it's healthy for their staff. It's a great way of coming out of, of the office and, and meeting people and embedding into the community and building these personal relationships and encouraging these serendipitous relationships. And that's really what I've been trying to do. That's what the Cultural Interest Group has been about. And that's how we're funded, actually. We're funded really by, by commercial partners who see the value and are prepared to make a financial contribution to, uh, to the organization to keep it afloat. But but yeah, but sorry, going on to the film school. So so then so then so then what what we've done is 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 find sponsors who are interested in projects working with local young people. We've always been focused on helping local creative practitioners earn a little bit more money because the rents are going up. So let's help them earn earn a few extra quid. So we employ filmmakers, Hackneywick filmmakers, to teach young kids from the local area how to make their first shot, their short film. Uh, we, we employ musicians and producers um, to, to help young people go into the studio and make their first track. And uh, it's fantastic. It, it's really good. And these are all sponsored. So Lendlease sponsored the, uh, the, the music school and uh, the West Ham United Foundation sponsored the, the film school. Um, and, and it's really this idea of, of collective responsibility but it's not really responsibility, it's opportunity. I mean, it's a win-win for, for local businesses to be active in their, in, in their neighbourhoods. And I think the pandemic has shown absolutely the importance of the hyper-local and local companies have this real opportunity to really engage at a, at a, at a grassroots local level through the arts and culture to make places better by working together collaboratively. Yeah. So, for instance, a Lendlease or West Ham. So that 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 the the funding for those um, community outreach and uh, uh, creative projects is that coming from their marketing budgets or CS um, CSR budgets? Where where's that coming from? Yeah, all their uh, they're, they're all they're they're all different. Um, some of them have community engagement budgets. Um, someone like West Ham United Foundation actually have to go out and fundraise themselves to to on a project by project basis because of their foundation status. Um, it's been really interesting actually to see how many organisations arrive in Newark and Fish Island or the Olympic Park area with community engagement budget. You would think that uh, they'd all have some, but it's interesting that, that they don't, or if they do, it's incredibly difficult to tap into. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a complete range, but it's a comms budget, hopefully. Uh, and again, that, that's one of the reasons we set up the newspaper because it, it, it works, it, it makes sense, and it's, it makes things relatively easy for local businesses to, to, to make an investment via the newspaper into the wider creative economy. And hopefully, used, using that model, we can achieve sustainability. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're testing the language within everything. So it's not just there within the meeting, then it's there printed, it's there through the network. And so you're beginning to then, it becomes second nature using that, as you said, that sort of collective opportunity language. 
exactly and it's it's all been an experiment right from the start you know i've got no background in any of this i i've, I've been making it up as i as i go along and making lots of mistakes and, and learning from them hopefully but uh yeah it's been it's been an exciting interesting and sometimes very difficult journey the nature of the ecosystem you speak of though that whether it's local authority or gla or whether it's developers or investors or whether it's you know community activist group or designers or makers or artists you know being able to speak different different languages to all of them and help them better come together seems to be fundamental to what you're talking about when you speak. You know, that is the facilitation. And then I suppose getting out the way too is also the important bit, isn't it? That's right, absolutely. So there's there's a large element of translation between the different sectors. Um, uh, and from my point of view, yeah, trying to work out sometimes what people are saying and how to unlock support. Um, I always thought the CSR route would be the one that would work best, but I don't know. CSR has never really taken off. I don't think anyone likes to be made to feel responsible. As I think, I think there is this opportunity, and I think this creative placemaking opportunity is perhaps an easier sell, and hopefully an easier sell. And the idea that it's collective and collaborative, and actually it makes you be- you work better, it makes your staff happier, and you know, it, it, it works across the board. We always say creativity makes places better. And I think what we're trying to do is prove that the living lab is is to to actually to to be able to measure that in practical terms, both quantitatively and qualitatively. And uh, we've done a number of, uh, of of research projects with the living lab. We use a citizen science model. Again, we want to try and put money into creative practitioners' pockets, so we pay them to be community researchers or citizen scientists. And we've delivered a number of projects now. We've done one for uh, Loughborough University into the impact of COVID on the creative cluster that was uh, very well received. Uh, we're in the process of doing one with Queen Mary into creative places, which is a comparative study between Hackneywick and Fish Island and, and the uh, the creative places that are inspirational to the creative sector in, in, in this part of the world and comparing that with St. Denis in Northern Paris, who are hosting the Olympics in 2024. So we've, uh, we're going to hopefully be able to, to compare the two places. Um, with that research, which should should be out by the end of the summer, and we've we've uh, we've just completed a piece of research into community led housing, uh, for the Creative Enterprise Zone and the Community Development Trust, working with UCL, and we've got a big project going back to your to your thoughts on meanwhile use, or worthwhile use. We're doing a research project with UCL into an interim use opportunity on the Olympic Park, which is exciting. Um, and in fact, we did not. We just published an article about meanwhile use in our latest issue of the of the Wit newspaper. Um, and it, you know, sometimes it is cynical. Sometimes, sometimes these are Trojan horses. These meanwhile uses they 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 come in and they they try and look good, but actually they're they're part of the gentrification process. And you find suddenly in a meanwhile use, you've got a bar selling pale ale at £7.50 a pint when across the canal it's £5.50 and you just think well hang on this isn't helpful um, uh, we want to see far more genuine local businesses given opportunities you know there's so many empty ground floor commercial spaces in Hackneywick and Fish Island at the moment which is a tragedy you know and we've been working with the development sector for years to encourage them to give it over to meanwhile use but they build it as shell and core and then it's very difficult to use but there are always people that are willing to use it. And I think we're, you know, what we try and do is, is help curate and build those introductions and, and make, make, make these sorts of things possible. And of course, that's what the Community Development Trust is absolutely geared up and set up to do as well. 
Wow. I, I, I love the, the, well, I suppose that creative tension that you speak of between this, there's some things here where you're formalizing the process and there's other bits where it still is the thing of experimentation and prototype. And I think that kind of rub of these elements is fascinating. So tell me, if I was to, you know, talking, which is very much what you're doing when you talk about whether it's the collaborative projects, whether it's in Paris or whether it's with universities, I mean, so it's to inspire other creative places what would be if you would and it's ever so difficult to do this but sort of kind of summing up key things that they need to keep in mind I think one of these things about the translation as facilitator convener feels important one of the catalyst of prototypes and experiments seems critical what else might you add to that if we were to try and sum up what are these kind of headlines for the other characters looking to better facilitate these creative or serendipitous collisions? Yeah, yeah, it was a very, very, very good question and very, very difficult. But I think that the priority, I think, from my point of view, is that for any developer that a proper local audit is conducted to make sure that they know exactly who's there and I think this is far probably probably far more appropriate in large scale master planning areas rather than individual developments where where you have this much development taking place at the same time. I think it's essential that a, a proper cultural and creative audit is conducted right at the beginning of the process to identify all those community anchors because they're exactly the organizations that you need to be working with. There is no point in displacing them and then trying to replace them, and unfortunately, that's what development does far too often. Your, your, your allies are the people that hold the knowledge, they hold the, the, the soul of the place, they're the guardians of the place. And they have, to be, they have to be engaged with respectfully and given opportunities to be part of the future of the place. Yeah, I think that's really beautifully told. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I think, you know, I keep writing words beginning with C in terms of converter or catalyst or collaborator. Good C words. And uh, yeah, it's 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 absolute pleasure to speak to you. So thank you, sir. Thank you. Very kind. No Thanks very much, Adam. Thanks, Bob. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Free Thinking Podcast today. Do subscribe so you know when the next episodes are, and do leave us a comment so we can get better and better. Thank you, and see you soon.